This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. First, let's pray. Father, we hear you say to us, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me your all in all. Lord, we are weak this morning, but you are strong. And so we pray, Lord, that your strength would be our supply this morning, and especially as we open your wonderful word in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. All right, so here we are. We're in the middle of this section here, which is the eight woes that Christ pronounced on the scribes and Pharisees, who he called hypocrites over and over again. Where we are right now is on the second woe in verse 14, which is specifically about the devouring of widows' houses and then for a pretense making these long prayers. So this woe is all about what they did to widows, widows. It's about them devouring the houses or the properties of widows. The Greek word for houses means properties. And they did this, we're not sure, but the commentators from that period there seem to indicate that somehow what they did is they convinced the widows to allow them to take over the property management and then they made gain of them themselves. 
Now, when we read something like this about devouring widows, it brings us really to understand that widows have a special place in the heart of God, very special. The prayers of widows are specially heard by God with the prayers of the fatherless. He said that in Exodus 22, Exodus 22, 22, where he told Israel, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child if thou afflict them in any wise and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. That's a specific promise to the widows about hearing their prayers. God actually takes from himself a special name with regard to the fathers, with regard to the widow. It says in Psalm 68.5, Psalm 68.5, that God is a father to the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. So he calls himself the father of the fatherless. He calls himself the judge of the widows and he has a special compassion for the widows. It was a widow who Jesus saw her dead son in a funeral procession in Luke 7.11, Luke 7.11, which says, it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nine, and many of his disciples went with him and much people, and when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city were with him. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare this, him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak and he delivered him to his mother. That was a moment for the Lord Jesus that he looked forward to. He saw that brokenhearted widow. His heart was broken for her. It's all about her, the way this text is reading. It's all about he saw her, he had compassion on her, he spoke to her, he says, don't cry, and he loved this. What he did there was turn her sorrow into joy by giving her back the son that she lost and made him alive again. So God greatly values widows. He has a special eye towards widows. As a matter of fact, when he went and described the giving of the small amount of money in the temple, it was a widow in Matthew 12.41. Matthew 12.41, when he said, Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, this poor widow hath cast more in than all they that have cast into the treasury. For all they have their cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. There's some great women in the Bible who were widows. We never should forget, Ruth was a widow, and she became grandmother of King David. 
So what happened in Israel is that at the end of every three years, the Israelites were to bring 10%, the tithe, of all that they harvested, 10% of their harvest, and they were lay it out, they were to lay it out for four types of people. The first is the Levite, who didn't have a possessions, and the second was the traveler, who was traveling through the land, he had no land, and the third person was the fatherless, and the fourth was the widow. This is laid out in Deuteronomy 14.28. Deuteronomy 14.28, it says, at the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year and lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he has no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands which thou doest. So these are four special groups of people that are very special to God, and he's told his people that you are to be particularly sensitive to their needs, the Levite, the traveler, the fatherless, and the widow. And God promised that if Israel did this, that God would bless their harvest, that God would bless them with a great harvest. As a matter of fact, God said that a happiness within a particular family was not complete unless that family made it their business to make these four people happy, the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. That's Deuteronomy 16.11, Deuteronomy 16.11. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant, and the Levite that was within thy gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. Another place it says in Deuteronomy 16, 14, Deuteronomy 16, 14, thou shalt rejoice in thy feast, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within thy gates. God wanted Israel to have a special focus on these people to make sure that they also rejoiced in the goodness that God had blessed them with. As a matter of fact, when Job was looking over his life and really reviewing as Job did, why has all these things happened to me? Is there sin in my life? What is it that I've done wrong? He's looking over his life. He's asking this question if he had sinned. And what he did is he looked at the widows that he knew and he asked the question if he was guilty or not of not helping the widows. Job 31, 16, 31, 16, he says, if I have withheld the poor from their desire or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel myself alone and the fatherless had not eaten thereof, from my youth he has brought up with me as with a father and I have guided her from my mother's womb. If I've seen any perish for want of clothing or any poor without covering, 
If his loins have not blessed me, and if he were not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let mine arm fall from my shoulder blade and mine arm be broken from the bone. Now, in verse 14, Christ goes on and he says that the Pharisees had a certain practice. And the practice he talked about was them covering up all these sins of what they had done against the widow by making these long prayers. Josephus says that the scribes and the Pharisees had a practice of praying in public for as long as three hours. The verse lays out a danger here of praying long prayers in public. The danger is what the Bible calls pretense. Pretense, the Greek word that's used here for pretense means show off, it means to impress others, it means to make an outward show. Now, clearly, Christ is not condemning long prayers. He himself prayed long prayers. It says in Luke 6, 12, Luke 6, 12, it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called on his disciples, and of them he chose 12 who also he named apostles. So before the Lord chose his disciples and became apostles, he spent the whole night in prayer. All night in prayer so that he would be led by God in his choice, even his choice of Judas Iscariot who betrayed him and that caused his crucifixion. He prayed all night, all night in prayer. The Bible tells us to pray often. The Bible says in Luke 18, 1, Luke 18, 1, he spake a parable unto them to this end. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Luke 21, 36, Luke 21, 36, he said, watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So the issue here is not long prayers. The issue is pretense, which means show off. In other words, to pray long prayers so that others can see you're showing off. You say, oh, look how spiritual I am and look at how close I am to God. And that's why Christ, when he talked about prayers, he said in Matthew 6, 5, Matthew 6, 5, when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. So Christ's formula to not use long prayers as a way to show off is to go into a closet. He says, go into a closet, shut the door, hide, 
Pray in secret with no one even knowing about your long prayers. You know, one time there was a reporter who was at a church service in Boston Commons in downtown Boston one Sunday morning, and the pastor prayed a long prayer. And the next day, the reporter wrote in the Boston Globe, he says, that was one of the most elegant prayers that was ever prayed to a congregation. (laughs) (laughs) Now, It's been observed that when the church went away from God that public prayers got longer and longer with no direction going all over the place. But when the church got close to God, public prayers got shorter and more to the point. Prayers, when there are other people present, should be short and they should be to the point and they should be on subject. Prayers for a church service should be for the church service and not for everything under the globe. And Christ warned against what he called vain repetitions. In other words, just repeating words like a method to be heard by God for what he called much speaking. You know, an example of vain repetition is reciting the rosary. The rosary with each bead in the rosary is used to pray the same words. Essentially, the rosary is stealing glory from God, stealing glory from Christ, and giving it to Mary. It's a horrible thing. Basically, in praying the rosary or any form of repeated prayers, the mind is just clicked off. It's just turned off. And the effort that's put in is just to say the right words. It could even be repeating the Shema just by without even thinking, just say, waking up in the morning, as my father did, every morning, Shema is Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And what Christ is saying is to use the mind when praying. Use the mind, don't turn it off. You know, my wife, she had a practice, very interesting. When she would write a letter to somebody, it was a big, huge thing with her. She wrote drafts of the letter before the finished copy. I mean, I still have copies of those drafts. I look, I'm amazed. She wrote a draft of the letter, and then she would read it, And as she read it, she would cross off this part and change words, and the letter, the draft is all marked up. And then she'd say that, okay. Then she would write a clean copy, another clean copy of a draft, and she did the same thing. She ended up writing two drafts of a letter before she did the final, she was satisfied with it. She says, okay. In fact, I remember one day when Ruth Sasaki she came to me and she showed me a letter that Cheryl wrote to her. And Ruth was very impressed with the thought that Cheryl had put into the letter and the words and she wrote to Ruth. And so Ruth kept that letter. In fact, Cheryl had a pen pal in prison and she wrote letters to her pen pal and she spent a lot of time writing those drafts and getting those letters to her pen pal in prison just right. Now, What she did not do is she didn't just sit down and write whatever came off the top of her head. That was her first draft in those letters. She worked and she reworked those letters till she had it just right and that was the final version of the letter. Prayer is like a letter that we write to God. That's what prayer is. It's like a letter that we write to God. And you gotta ask yourself the question, 
what difference it would make if we sat down and we wrote down what we wanted to say to God. And then we did the same thing and we read it and we said, no, that's not what I want to say to God. And we put it and finally our letter to God, which is our prayer. And then, you know, when she read her first draft, maybe read our first draft, she thought through each word. She changed words just to get those words to say what she wants to say. She thought it read every sentence, get it, make sure it was just right, so that it was right on a point. I mean, what a difference it would make in our prayer life if we wrote down first what we wanted to say to God and read it to ourselves and asked the questions, as you do with anything you write. Is this what I really, really want to pray to God? Is it clear? Is it clear? I wonder if sometimes God hears our prayers and he says, I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what they're asking for. It's a little unclear to me. I hear a lot of words that I've heard before, but I don't. So the first question is, is this what I'm really, is this clear what I'm gonna say to God? Second, is what I'm gonna pray to God really to the point? It's really to the point. And third, is there a better way to express what I wanna say to God? Have I used the best words to communicate to God in prayer? And after we've read and reread and combed and recombed over the text, we put it in the final form and then we pray that to God. What a difference would make in our prayers. Because the best communications, the very best communications are not long. They're short, they're to the point, and they leave no room for misinterpretation. And that, it doesn't just come off the top of the head, it has to be worked on. Now, blind men came to Christ and he asked them uh, really what was a shocking question in Matthew 20, verse 29, Matthew 20, verse 29. They departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace, but they cried the more saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, what will you that I shall do unto you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately their eyes received sight, they followed him. Now we can just imagine the crowd there. I mean, here's two blind men who are sitting there on the side of the road they hear that Jesus is passing by. They begin to cry out for Jesus to have mercy on them. He calls them, Christ calls them to come over to him. He asks them the question of what they wanted Christ to do for them. We can imagine the shock of the crowd when they heard this, that the men are blind. The men are blind, it's obvious. But that was not enough for Christ. We can imagine the people saying to themselves, what Christ should do for the blind men? They're blind, you should give them sight. The need was obvious, they were blind. But just because the need was obvious, that was not enough for Christ. They had to come to Christ, they had to ask him to give them his sight. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.